I, I can truthfully say that I don't think I've ever had a camp any better than this one. Had a lot of rain, a lot of sloppy weather, and tents got blown over, and a lot of things like that happened that we weren't excited about. But uh, maybe we did get excited about it. But we we just had a good time. Just don't know. Realized any more than this last camp uh, of the extreme importance of uh, you and I getting with people like precious faith outside of our local assembly. It is really important that we do that. Very, very important that we do that. Every now and then you'll see a, a congregation or a church that kind of drifts a little bit on the independent side. And they don't see the importance of going to camp and getting together with people like Precious Faith. That is so very, very important. And, you know, now would be a good time for you to consider camp next year. Now, our camp will always will be over the weekend by the 4th. The 4th next year should be on Friday. So if you'll just mark that down, that would put the camp starting about July 1st. Or second, would that be the second? It started June 30th this year, so it'll be later. So it would be the 29th. We're going the other way. All right, okay then, okay. You're going the wrong way. But uh, it'd be a good time for you to, to attend. Because uh, it's real important. Now, I know that that a lot of you uh, like to take vacation to be uh, with your family, but you do your family a big thing. That's right. See, uh, the preacher that Brother Johnson did and the teaching that Brother Price did, it'd be good for you to expose your young, your teenagers to, to that kind of teaching. The Price did some outstanding teaching. And some of you, I'm going to say this with a lot of fear, without reservation, some of you, if in the younger years as a Christian, the principles that Brother uh, Price talked about, you wouldn't be in the, in the wrangle and the tangle and the big mess that you are now, and you wouldn't be having so many problems with your temperament. Yes, you have I really mean that. You've got to learn a certain principle at a certain age. It is said that all of the values of young people that must for any given length of time, about 90% of it are instilled in people by the time they're 18 years of age. And that lets you understand how important it is that in the home that things are structured right and that you give the principle in your heart in the correct way. Praise. Attitudes, attitudes seem to prevail 
It's a tremendous uh, circumstances to bring gratitude to people. And once the seeds have been formed, they really don't. And you, you may be studying a person. I do believe that a person can change. But if in the if you're in the in the groove for growth, but, but that doesn't mean you just over and over and over you're just constantly warning and questioning for growth. And the only way change will take place is for some adverse to come down and change you. Now I know for the people here tonight. And it's okay news. I've been pastor of some of you and left for others. But uh, the prevailing attitude that you have is still right where it was 14 years ago. Now, that doesn't mean that your attitude was bad, but it simply means that it, it was there, the same thing. And, and every now and then you come to an enlightenment and doctrine, and, and you just, wow, that's great. But the attitude is not changed. I don't really know what all I'm going to say tonight. Usually I come back from camp and I really want to preach. I come back from conference and I really want to preach. And I'm not so sure that I really want to preach tonight. I'm not really so sure that I did. I want to talk from the Word of the Lord. I want to teach from the Lord. And so we just want God to, to, to do everything that God wants to do. Now, Thursday night, let's take a special offering for Thursday night. This next week, I'll be on the road a couple of days. I've got a business meeting in Oshkosh Tuesday night. I've got a meeting in Appleton Main Street with some builders there. I've got to go to Milwaukee this week. And get with some the uh there to put together the steel building. So I've got a good four week. Praise God. Week. But uh, I felt better physically. I just feel I feel real. I really did. I just feel real good. Uh, God has just seemingly given me a particular and now you you got you got to just turn it over in other words and give him everything he's for Christ we have had so many churches here in Wisconsin that have been Christ funds church in Appleton the church in Rhinelander the church in in Gainesville, the church in Milwaukee, that is Northview, years here, church in Walpacka, church in Kings Point, in Warsaw, the church in in Wisconsin just received a grant from Jesus, which was taken up there too then. In the churches, he's for Christ's fun. He's for Christ's fun. You know, we hardly ever make a request in Wisconsin. And the reason why 
it's not just because of Betty Young, who is the director, because, you know, he was the superintendent of the state before he left. has put a lot of effort to missionaries. Here we have two training seminars for these men. All the money that you give for the price and the money that you give for home missions. You have to say to Wisconsin, I, I, can, I can vouch for this, that, that it has been quite wonderful. Used, stretched out as far as we could make it stretch, but on the other hand, used wisely. I really appreciate that. Wisconsin has a great move of the Lord throughout its churches. Revival spirit. And you know, I could go on and on and on, and you've been standing for a long time. You know, we don't have any speakers that come to Wisconsin are not genuinely impressed with the spirit and attitude of our, of our people. And of course I can say this, I've had preachers come here and say, you know, this is a preacher's it's a preacher's paradigm. If you want somebody to pray with you, your people to pray with you. You have a need, you have a burden, you can share it with them and they'll lay it. I've had many missionaries. This church is the easiest church in our whole fellowship to preach to. Our told me that this is the second largest offering I've ever gotten in. Our offering usually to our missionaries run from five hundred Fifty dollars to about seven hundred in that area. Now I'm, I'm going to say this: if you promise me, you'll keep up the good work. If you promise me you'll keep giving like that. You got to say this, okay? Right? Okay. The average offering to a missionary in our church is I get the because I'm the superintendent from all the churches. There's a lot of churches bigger than this church. That they may do a hundred, hundred. I've been putting all this money in things I'm supposed to. <laughs> what God tells you to do, and you see what we don't put in, some, some other, somebody else has to put in. See, they go to a lot of churches with people, and they may give fifteen dollars or so. So somebody has to make it up. And, and I'm just glad. I'm really glad. That I can, I can, and I don't say much about this, but we get those reports, and and you, 125, 150, church go 200, maybe 95, one of them go 25, and his child was dollars, sometimes 700 dollars. I don't know before. I had a missionary who said, and they'd say, what? You've got to be kidding. I said, no. We're not kidding. Was the offering that much? I said, yes, it was. Praise God. I, I thank the Lord for that. I mean, let's lift our hands and thank the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Bless 
Well, we're going to read a scripture and let you sit down. I'm not for sure I'm going to preach on that scripture. It's a big problem. But let's turn to Romans, the third chapter. Romans, the third chapter. <clears throat> read verse 1 through part of verse 1. What is done is done after Jesus. Or what prophet is there as Christian for them? that unto them were committed the oracles of God. For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid, yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. God bless you, maybe. I want to speak to you on the subject. Let God be true. Let God be true. You see, God is truth already. The, the appeal here is, is not that you allow him to operate in the areas of truth. Well, he's, he's already doing that. The appeal is make up your mind. With your own mind. See, Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. And if you read the Scripture, there is a strong appeal made from God. About the attribute of truth. Is truth. Now, fact is fact. They're stubborn. So when you run up against the truth, you run up against the hardest, immutable source in the world. Egypt. So God's laws are always right. There are some absolutes. You cannot reckon again or use leverage against a fact. If in any way you could shake it or move it, it would not be truth. It wouldn't be a fact. But that's the way it is. You know, there's just certain things about God that I don't understand. I used to, as a kid, I used to say, how could God always? And so you think this is far back through time. Finite mind could travel, and, and and then there was God, and everything has to start. But God, that's explain. I can't explain it. 
You see, the Bible teaches us not to reason upon our own understanding. And you see, the, the big problem in the world that we live in today is that too many people try to figure out too many things. Now, there was a time when I got so confused thinking about God, and every now and then I'll have somebody come up and say, why this, why that? You see, there's certain things that I don't, I don't know why. I remember on a math test, gave us one time, and he was, he was good at asking trick questions. He asked a question, if something that could not be stopped, something that could not be moved. I don't know. <clears throat> so you don't have an answer for that because it's impossible to figure out what would happen to something that couldn't be stopped. And you see, there's certain things in your mind that you can't figure out. Now, you may say, but how come you can't figure out? Well, all you've got to do is, number one, look at yourself. Do you have all of life's answers? And you'd be the first to say no. Do you know of anybody that has an answer to everything? Then if you don't have all the answers, and you don't know of anybody that does, then you don't have to have too many marbles upstairs to understand that there's certain things in, in this life that people cannot figure out. So you can come to a quick conclusion that there's some things that you're just better off not to even think about. Because you don't have the answer, and nobody on this planet Earth has the answer to. And the Word of God declares that you and I, as brilliant as we may be, we see through a glass darkly. We are limited. We don't have all the answers. Most people don't have enough answers to run their own life, they have to constantly seek advice. I don't care what area you work in, what your expertise is, if it's in the financial world, the largest banks in the world have a board. And then usually they have an advisory committee that works with that board. If you're working in the medical field, you can go to the university hospital here, and you will find that some of the greatest surgeons in the world work for the University of Wisconsin. But separate and apart from this university system, there are other surgeons who serve in a advisory capacity to this system. And so regardless of what area you work in or how great your expertise may be, it's always better to have another mind.
because you know that you and I are indeed limited. And we don't even have to go to the Bible to find that out. But the Bible does verify that only God is all-knowing. So the appeal that Paul comes or makes to, to man is this. Let God be true. In other words, God is truth already. But come to the conclusion, all of you, that He is indeed truth. And whatever He says, it's always right. Now, the whole argument in, in chapter 2 and chapter 3 is the argument that deals with sin. In other words, is, is God going to let some people off the hook just because that they were too lazy to read? You see, this is a book that was given to mankind. There are certain parts of this book that are books containing the message of salvation. They basically were written to everybody. Now, there are epistles, letters that were written to particular groups of people. All the epistles were written to the church. More specifically, they were addressed and sent to local congregations. And the epistles were not written in a form like a thesis, but they were written as problems occurred. I guess one of the greatest encouragement I get if you can, if you, if I could use this without you getting a, the wrong opinion of what I'm saying, you know, every now and then you get to thinking about people and their problems. You know, you you go right down the church now, and you you may say, "Oh, but Brother Grant, oh well, look, I have problems too, so I don't exclude the pulpit." See, but you say, "Problem, problem, 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 problem." You may skip over one or two people, but next time. You'll have to hit them and skip over some that you name, see. And you say, Wow, what does the Holy Ghost do? The Holy Ghost is not a quick cure all for all your problems. But it gives you special enlightenment and encouragement and power to overcome. But I guess the greatest encouragement I get when I read the Bible. And I see all the problems that people had. I guess I, I'm, I am 100% convinced. Irregardless of what we want to say about the first church and the power that the first church had. That the first church had indeed as many problems if not more than the people that I work with today. If that's any encouragement to you. Let it be. <laughs> Because when you read some of those epistles, you say, wow, <laughs> if he's addressing things that these people were dealing with, they were dealing with a lot of things. And I'll assure you they were. I'll assure you they were. So Paul is saying that, that no man is exempt just because he doesn't know. I mean, he's got the Bible. 
and I might just personalize this a little bit to you, that if you're having a if you're having a particular area of concern and you're not searching out the truth in the word of the Lord, then, then you're going to the wrong source. I mean, God gave you this Bible. Did you know the Bible can serve as a supplement to your brain? Because the Bible contains, see, the Word of the Lord is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. You've heard of people being sharp as a tack? You've heard that, haven't you? Man, he's sharp today. I can show you something sharper than a tack. And that's the Word of the Lord. And and isn't it strange how sometimes we forget that God, through His Word, has answers? And sometimes we'll sit around and feel sorry for ourselves, and and we'll throw a great, big, all-week pity party. Only to wake up and realize, hey, this right here was meant to supplement What I haven't stored away up in here, it's in here. You see, every now and then you, you, you run against a word that you don't know what it means, so what do you do? You go to the dictionary. Now, very few people just carry a dictionary around because they store enough up here to get by with until they are forced to open the dictionary. David said, Thy word, O Lord, have I hid in my heart. But you see, if you don't have it there, and you know you have problems, what do you do? Then, it's like the man who goes to the dictionary because he doesn't have an answer. He doesn't know the the meaning of a word, or he doesn't know how to spell it, or he doesn't know uh, uh, the particular uh, characteristics of that word. He wants to find out about it, so he goes to the dictionary. And the Bible contains... The answer. Every now and then you think you know what a word means until you look it up in the dictionary and you find out, I've been using this in the wrong way. And then you sit around and blush for about 30 minutes in a corner someplace because all your life you've been using it. Now you know why when you use the word, people look at you and said, what? And you thought, don't they know that word? Come to find out it was you that didn't know the word. That's why they ask what? And every now and then Christians are embarrassed like that. I'm serious with you. I've hung my head in shame over attitudes that I had, only to read later, according to the word of the Lord, that wasn't even right. I was way out in left field, trying to pitch a strike to home plate. When if I'd have moved around, got on the pitcher's mound, where I was supposed to be pitching from, I might have been able to throw more strikes. And some people don't even get on the ball field. They stay up in the bleachers and try to pitch strikes. 
That's pretty hard to do. Especially when they bounce across, they don't count. Isn't that right? And so Paul is saying, look, we want you to know that, that no man, just because the Jews had the oracles of God, and they didn't abide by them because they put their own interpretation to them. And the Gentiles who didn't have the oracles of God, but God put a conscience within them, but they didn't, they didn't obey that. He said the conclusion of the matter is this. That all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In other words, everybody needs to find a place in which he can surrender his heart and his life to God. You know, we've got just enough humanism in the world for a man to try to be his own redeemer nowadays. You know, over and over and over you read the philosophies of men. The eastern uh, cults that come through. They all teach, for the most part, maybe I shouldn't say all, but for the most part they teach that that in you is ultimate truth. If, if, if you can find it, listen, it's not in you. For in you, Jesus said, and flowing out of you are the issues of life, adultery, fornication, lasciviousness, lying, Murders and such. That's what's in the mind and the heart of man. Man is corrupt because he is born of sinful nature. And he's shaping in iniquity. And everybody has to find a place in which he can pour himself out to the Lord. And when God's Spirit comes and forgives you of your sin and your iniquity. And you are then baptized in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you are filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. You are made a new creature in Christ Jesus. Amen. The old man is purged out and cast asunder and buried with him. Now, let's just take a look at Second Peter. Second Peter one. Verse nineteen. We have also a more, more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. Now what's he saying? You take heed to the light that does what? Shines in a dark place. For example, if you go downstairs... And you turn the switch on over by the pop machine. It turns the row of lights on that goes down the hallway. Now there's another way that you can get to the end of the building. You can walk through the learning center, exit out the side door and back around. But if you went downstairs and all the lights were out, and you knew that you could not turn the lights on, you'd probably take the route that you're the most familiar with. But if you went downstairs, and the lights were on, and you knew 
that you could not turn another light on, you would probably take the path that is lighted. Because you're better off to take the path that has the light than to feel your way through the darkness, even if that's a familiar route. And that's what he's saying. Take heed to the light. In other words, if God has lit the path, walk down the path, even though it's an unfamiliar path. It's better than lurking in the darkness. It's better than stumbling along the way. But this is the way I always go. You see, that's the problem of the world today. And even some churches get in that rut. When God comes and gives them a better way to do things, they still want to do the same old way. Walk in the same old dark shadows. Stumble over the same old obstacles over and over and over and over. This is the way we've always done it. But it's not working, brother. It's not working, sister. I remember not too many years ago, we had a brother in our church. Now, he's not in the church today. Needless to say, because of the way he did things, he's not here. But he just witnessed, 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 witnessed. Every place you went, you found people that he had witnessed to. The problem, however, he never brought anybody to church with him. And the people he witnessed to never got saved. And so I said to him now one day, and I talked with him, he's discouraged. He said, I witnessed to everybody that I can't win anybody. I said, have you ever thought that maybe there's something wrong with your testimony, the way you're doing it? Oh, but God has talked to me, and God has revealed to me. I said, listen, if God's talked to you and God's revealed to you, you see, if God wants you to witness, and God tells you how to do it, friend, it's going to work for you. But I beckoned and pleaded and beckoned and pleaded with him. He never would change his style. His style was that everybody he saw was on their road to hell. And he's going to quickly tell them. And bless God, if you don't straighten up and fly right, you're going to split hell wide open. Now that was his style. And then if you had a bad spirit, he said, you've got a nasty spirit. I'm going to cast this devil out of you. Well, he didn't cast out too many devils. First place, he couldn't get it out of his own mind, his heart. You see, when Peter manifested that kind of attitude, what did Jesus say? Jesus looked at him and said, Peter, you know what spirit you are. See, he needed his own cleansing. But to him, everybody else needed to be cleansed. In other words, what I'm saying is, why keep going over the same old things if they're not working? Why keep walking in the darkness when there is a a path that's been light. See, that's what he's saying here. We have a more sure word of prophecy. He said, Take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. Now, A lot of people have misinterpreted that scripture. You you can talk to somebody and they say, Oh, don't put your own interpretation. That's not what it's saying. Because if that's what it's saying, I'm out of order by doing what I'm doing here tonight. Because I'm interpreting scripture for you. 
And you may say, but that says private interpretation. That means I get mine from God. What you're saying then, you, everybody else get, does, doesn't get theirs from God. Because there are some various opinions that come forth even from Holy Ghost filled people. That's why Ephesians, the fourth chapter, is written. See, Ephesians, the fourth chapter, deals with a fivefold ministry. We have apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the working of the ministry. Now, he goes on to tell us that we should contend for the unity of the Spirit until we all enter into the unity of the faith. I can show you in the Bible in Acts, the 15th chapter, where Holy Ghost filled men varied on their interpretation. Of the Old Testament. So evidently that scripture is not saying quite what some people think that it's saying. Private interpretation means. And if you want to search out the Greek you can find this. It means that when these men wrote. Holy men of old wrote as they were moved upon by the Holy Ghost. Notice this. For the prophecy came not. The context of the scripture. In old time by the will of man. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So the context of the scripture is that these men were inspired. 2 Timothy 3.16 All scripture is given by inspiration of God. So when they were writing... How were they writing? As they were moved upon. You may say, well, it says, but they, uh, holy men of God spake as they were moved upon. Most of the prophecy of the Old Testament was spoken and then recorded. Now, spoken prophecy, however, doesn't mean it's scripture. See, you can stand up and prophesy tonight. You may say, thus saith the Lord. That doesn't mean it's scripture. It is scripture when it is recorded on the inspiration of God. Let God be truth. Now, let's just leave that alone just for a little while. We are going to go someplace tonight in this message, I do believe. But let's go to Acts, the 27th chapter. Acts, the 27th chapter. The Apostle Paul is bound in this chapter. He is on a ship. An angel of God has stood by his side already and told him to warn the master of the ship and tell him that if they sail right now, that there's going to be much harm and much hurt. Now they had pulled into several harbors. They're in one now. We're not going to all the details. They went into several others later. But the scripture tells us in verse 9, Now when much time was spent, and when sailing was now dangerous, because the fast was now already past, Paul admonished them, and said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only to the lading and ship, but also of our lives. 
Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the order of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. Now you notice what's happened here. Now if if you care to read the rest of it, you will find the scripture saying what? That when Paul spoke and said, look, we need to put the brakes on this thing because there's going to be a storm out there. They conferred with each other and decided not to believe him. That's not what the scripture says. The scripture does not say they didn't believe him. The scripture says they believed him, but they believed the others more than Paul. Now more than it tells me that they also believe Paul. Now you may say, wait a minute, Brother Grant. How can you believe two opposite things? Well, let me show you what happened that leads me to believe that they did believe Paul. But they didn't believe him. Because when they sailed, let's say this is the shoreline here. When they sailed, they did not go straight across to Rome like they had planned. They just pushed out a little ways and they stayed real close to the shoreline. Now there's a real message in that for Christians today. Because you see, here's where some Christians are. They have read and they have responded. And they believe. However, they believe the voice of the world. And the voice of their peers more than they believe the prophets and the preachers and the message of the church. You may say, why then do they keep coming to church? Because they believe that. In other words, they sail right close to the shoreline. We're going to stay right with the church. But we're going to push out a little bit in dangerous ground. Stormy weather. Rocky harbors. Adverse conditions. Because we we want to travel on anyway. But I'll see you Thursday night, preacher. I'll see you Sunday morning. I'll see you Sunday night. And if you'll preach a real blistering message, you know what I'll do? I'll even come to the altar and pray. But if you don't, I'll probably just kind of sail out here and watch a little bit. Can I say something here that I think you, that, that, that some of you need to hear? Some of you are just spectators here until God just really turns you around real good. I'm serious. I, I just feel in my heart, I need to, I really feel in my heart, I felt this now for two or three weeks. You remember the last Sunday night I preached here? We talked to you about a few issues of life and everything. You know, when you pastor people, you learn people. You know, like, let's take for an example. If we had a work night here at church, I could, I, I'll tell you what I could do. 
I could be 99% accurate by writing down the names of the men who will come and the names of the men who won't. <laughs> if we're having a picnic, I know who's going to be there and who's going to be out of town. See, some of you like to work, some of you don't like picnics, some of you don't like this, some of you like this. Now, you may say, is it important that I do all of these things? Well, maybe not attending a, an annual church picnic. Maybe it won't affect you one bit, but sometimes it does young saints in the Lord. See, this is the reason why that, that I highly stress this. Like, if you're a minister and you're an elder, make sure that you listen to all the announcements and you know what's happening at the church. Because you see, the thing that, and you're just off lollygagging around. You ever hear that word? If you're just off lollygagging around, he thinks it's an important thing, and he's a new person in the Lord. When he goes home, he's terribly disappointed in what? In you. I say in you. There are very few things in the ministry that I'm not involved in. Very few. Very few. And I, I really mean, if, if I'm not superintendent this time next year, I trust and pray that even though I'm not superintendent, when it becomes, when it when it comes time for me to work at camp and go to camp and things, that I'll be there. Now, I'll just tell you this: I have no time to be a spectator to anything. If I'm going to ride in the car, you know how I'm going to get in? I'm going to get inside and close the door and lock it. I'm not going to go down the road with my legs hanging out. You know, if you're going to get in the church, get in the church. With all your heart. Get in it and stay in it. You see, you can believe something, but not believe it enough to obey it. Now, if you were, if you went out, you, let's take a let's take a, a let's say a typical child, a, a boy or a girl that that's raised in, in the church. In other words, they hear Sunday school, Sunday school, Sunday school. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. They hear that all their life. Do they really believe that Jesus is coming? Well, they do and they don't. Now, how can you... Well, if you couldn't believe something and then disbelieve at the same time, you couldn't be double-minded. See, that's the problem. When James spoke of a double-minded man, that simply means that, that at times he believes it, but other times he doesn't. Is it valuable to have insurance on your car when you drive it? It sure is. But you see, you let it lapse... And you think, oh, well, I'm just going home. Let a semi-truck almost hit you. You know what you're going to do? You're going to, you're going to fork up the money for insurance tomorrow. See? Well, you, you just admit it that you believe that you needed it, but you didn't really see the need of it until that semi-truck faced you. And after a while, hard times set in again, you forget about it. You let the insurance on your car lapse. And you don't think anything about it. And all of a sudden, next time, he clips you real good. First thing you do, oh, why did I get insurance? That bothered me every day. 
You know, before I got in the church, all I thought about, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. I knew he was coming. The preacher convinced me that he was coming. Did you believe it? Yes, I believed it. But I also believed that it was very, very important that I have a good time in the world and that preachers and saints leave me alone. You know the reason why I couldn't come to go to church at certain times? Because the preaching got too heavy. I just couldn't take it. And I knew that. You see, I knew how to play that game with God. I thought. So you don't go during revival services because when you go during revival services, that evangelist, it's like he knew everybody's history. See? You know what kind of church services I like to attend? I like to attend the kind where everybody comes, like a singspiration or something. Because things usually don't get very heavy during that time. And after all, you get up and walk out and nobody even knows you leave. I had it all figured out, see. I knew, I knew how to do it. However, you know what happened? A, a, a big, big bundle of tribulation came my way. And I'll tell you the truth. A number of things started happening to me. And I could, I could sit up here tonight and tell you of many, many things that God allowed to come my way. And every time some of those things happened, I threw up my hand and said, Yes, I believe, Lord, I believe, I believe. And you know what I did? I prayed just long enough to get off the hook. Now, you know why I'm telling some of you some of the things I'm telling you? Because, see, you're praying yourself off the hook. And you believe, but you still don't believe it. And you see, the whole argument of the Scripture that I've gone through, the argument to the Jews, the argument to the Gentiles, the argument about Scripture, that's what it's all dealing with. It's saying, well, yeah, you say you believe it. However, you need to get it deep down inside of you that whatever God says, that's the way it is. And just because you're not feeling the extreme importance of it because of some rosy condition that you're coming your way doesn't mean it's not going to happen that way. It is going to happen that way. See, that's what he's saying. You go all the way back to the Old Testament. You remember in the Old Testament the story of Ahab and Jehoshaphat and those two kings conferring with each other. They were going out to Ramoth Gilead to fight the Syrians. And they called in all the prophets, the false prophets. Now let me show you something about the way some people operate. They called in all these false prophets. Do you know who was responsible for all these false prophets? Ahab himself. They were his false prophets. They came in and they said, If you go out to fight the Syrians, and you can read this in, in 2 Kings or 1 Kings, the 22nd chapter, but if you go out and fight the Assyrians, Zedekiah, that happened to be the chief of the false prophets, he said, You'll come back with a great victory. They all felt real good. However, Jehoshaphat, being the son of Joash, who was the king, he, he, he had just enough God about him to, to just feel like something not quite right. 
He said, uh, Ahab, is there another king or another prophet in Israel? He said, oh, well, well, no, I don't think so. He questioned him again. And he said, Ahab, I think I remember a man's name who was a prophet in Israel. I haven't seen him around for a long time. His name is Micaiah. Now, where is he? He said, Ahab, this is what Ahab said. Well, there's no need to send for him because he never tells me anything I want to hear. Now, that's the way he put it. But I want to show you just how positively that Ahab believed in Micaiah. When they called for him, Micaiah came and stood before Jehoshaphat and stood before Ahab and all the false prophets and Ahab himself asked, if we go out to battle with the Syrians at Ramoth Gilead, will we or will we not be defeated? Micaiah stepped up and said, you go out in battle today with the Syrians and God will give you great victory. That's what he told him. You know what Ahab said? Ahab looked at him and says, wait a minute. You're lying to me. Now you're telling me a lie. That's what he said. He said, you're telling me a lie. You know better than that. And then the man of God stepped up and said, Ahab, as sure as the Lord liveth, if you go out to battle against the Syrians at Ramoth Gilead with Jehoshaphat, he said, I see all of Israel scattered as sheep without a shepherd. And he said, you know what's going to happen? He said, the dogs are going to lick your blood this day. Then you know what happened? He turned to the false prophets. He said, what about this? And he says, take him, boys, and take him to the governor of Ammon. Actually, the mayor of the city of Ammon. And lock him up. And don't feed him anything but the bread and the water of affliction until we come in peace. Now you talk about a confused man. Friend, he was confused. See, he, he believed it, but he didn't believe it. He knew what he was lying. But he wanted to hear something different. Now, to show you what he did, even after he put him in prison... He was like those, the, that, that shipmaster and that owner of the ship uh, sailing real close. You know what he did? He went to Jehoshaphat and he said, well, let's figure this out now. He said, you know very well that, that what always happens in battle, those Gentiles, the first thing they do, they try to get the head of the king. That's all they're interested in. Because if they can get the king... 
than, than they've got it, it, it made. He said, but I'll tell you what let's do. Let's outsmart them today. They don't care about a common warrior. So here's what we'll do. Let's just forget all about we're king. And let's dress up and disguise ourselves. Now isn't that crazy? Now you listen to this. Isn't that a crazy way to deduct things? You know, you're, you're dodging in your own tracks. You're scared of yourself. Have a man locked up, accuse him of being a liar, and when he tells you the truth, then you lock him up and then turn around and try to do the opposite. You see, this is the reason why when Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached to the people there, he said, save yourselves from this untoward generation. He's talking about a generation of people that just walks around in circles. The book of Proverbs says the legs of a lame man are unequal. That simply means if a man's leg is withered or it's crippled, it's hard for him to walk a straight path. And if he exerts the same amount of energy on one leg as the other, he's going to go around in a circle. It's easier to walk in a circle if you have a short leg than it is to walk straight. Because you've got to take a little step with one leg and a big step with another. And that's exactly what he was doing. He was walking around in circles. And so they disguised themselves and went out. But little did they know then that the Syrian king sent forth a decree and said, we're going to do it different today, boys. He said, I want you to slaughter every soldier you can find. But one thing for sure, don't kill the king of Israel. You see, when Paul said in Galatians, the 6th chapter, verse 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. You can't not outplay God in this game, friend. You think you're going to outsmart God? You can't do it. And some people, there's no rhyme or reason why they do certain things, except that they're trying to get out of trouble all the time. They're just hopping around. How miserable, how miserable. You see, there's only two ways in which a person could, could be totally content. One of them works and one of them doesn't. You may say, how? If you give yourself all together to God, there's no struggle. If you give yourself all together to the devil, there's no struggle. But you see, most people don't want to give themselves all together to the devil because to be devil possessed, you know, it freaks everybody out. Who wants to go around living in graveyards? Cutting themselves. So, you see, if there's any in between, there's a struggle all the time. And so when they were out fighting that day on the hillside, Ramoth Gilead, you know what happened? All the soldiers, man, they were just wiping out all of the, all the, everybody they could find. They were going to save the king. They weren't going to, they weren't going to kill him first. And Ahab disguised himself and saw that the battle was getting real, real hot. He looked around and he saw all of the common soldiers falling. And nobody seems to be looking for the king. And boy, he jumped on a chariot and he took out. And as he went over a hill, there was a, there was a soldier standing there. And he had his bow and his arrow all ready. 
And he looked. He said, is that the king? No, that's not the king. That's just a common soldier. And you know what he did? The Bible uses the word venture. In other words, he just pulled it back. And he says, oh, well. And he let it go. But God had Ahab's number for him. And that arrow came right down, right between his shoulder blades. And killed him. And his body was taken into the Syrian city. And the chariots were washed off. And the dogs came and licked his blood. Just like the prophet of God said. Just like the prophet of God said. And you know, if any way I possibly can impress upon you. See, some of you are believing God just enough to stay in the church. God wants you to go all the way. Why are some people having problems with holding the standard? Because they believe, but they don't believe. Why are some people having problems with brothers and sisters? They believe, but they don't believe. Some of the things I've been talking to the church about. Why are some people having problems? Because they believe, and yet at the same time they don't believe. Let me just float along real close to the altar, but let me stay out in stormy water. Listen, friend, it doesn't work that way. And you'll find out one thing. Those men that insisted, we're going to Rome regardless. Friend, they didn't make it to Rome. Not only did they lose their ship, friend, they lost everything they had. And that's the way it is when you try to serve God at a distance. Arm's length. You know, I guess one of my pet peeves, and I've mentioned several lately. One of my pet peeves is people come up and say, when are you all going to build that new church? You know. And I always correct them. I said, you mean when are we? Why are you putting yourself on the outside? Because you know when we build that means commitment. So it sounds better when it says, when are you all going to build it? When are you going to have the picnic, Brother Grant? When are you going to do this? When are you going to do this? You? No, us. Get in the habit of putting yourself in it. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. I'm going to get in. Hallelujah. And I'm going all the way with the Lord. First John, the fifth chapter, verse 9. I want to hurry along here. <clears throat> if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. Praise God, praise God, praise God. You know, lately I've just, I've just been thinking over and over and over and over and over. The witness of God. See, the witness of God is in the earth. Let's read verse 8. We didn't read that. And there are three that bear witness in the earth. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree in one. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. Now they bear witness in the earth. Now they agree in one. doesn't say they're one. Now that just simply means, I think that what this means here. See, when, when you're baptized in Jesus' name, you go down in H2O. Physical components of water. But when you go down, 
The blood washes you clean. But the scripture says the blood is applied by what? The spirit. In other words, there's no physical blood right now that's just been saved by the Lord from the time of Calvary that is physically applied in your heart. It's applied by the Spirit. Now the reason why it says there's there's agreement there, in other words, there's a working there's a working together of all of the components of salvation to testify of a man's need. Now there's a witness of God in the earth today. That means everything upon the planet earth today that is under the auspices and the reign of the Holy Ghost witness and verify and testify that God indeed is right. What did Paul say about about the, the very elements and the creation of the world stand up in judgment? against mankind. He said, there is no escape for the sinner. A man says, there is no God. Paul says, you've got to be kidding yourself because creation itself will stand up against you in judgment. In other words, you came along here as one of those that believed Darwin and you said, surely man must have sprung from monkeys. And so you say, why? Because look how everybody's acting. They all act like they've gone ape. And then you get the largest telescope you can get and you look out there and you say, wow, how could there be a God? Look how great. And then you look at that intelligent creature and you say, well, if there's not a God, what's your answer? And he says, well, I'm not really for sure. Paul says, now you know the truth of the matter is you couldn't figure it out. And because you couldn't figure it out, you thought nobody had it figured out. And yet you'd be the first one to say that there are no absolutes. Nobody has the truth. See what you're doing, you're condemning yourself. That's what you're doing. You say there's no truth, but somebody comes along with a, a, a verified fact and points it out to you, and you, you won't even believe that, see? And yet, your whole quest in life is, I want truth. I want to know where I came from, who I am, and where am I going? And then somebody came along and said, you are indeed the offspring of God, and your life is valuable, but you're spending it. On devilish things and you're going to a lake of fire one of these days. And you walked away when you got the answer all puffed up and said, who is he to tell me what to do? That's going to all stand up in judgment against you one of these days. You see, that's what he's saying. See, there are witnesses in the earth. And they all agree. 
God's got a church that's standing up. Let's take, let's take a look. See, Proverbs 25, verse 2. Let's go back to the book of Proverbs. <clears throat> it is the glory of God to conceal a thing. But the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Now the Bible tells us, and I'm not reading that scripture, but the Bible tells us in the same book that the secrets of the Lord are revealed to those that love Him. The Bible also declares the church in the book of Revelation in the fifth chapter to be kings and priests who will reign with the Lord forever. You see, God laid down a principle. The principle was that you just don't cast pearls before swine. That just simply means if people are just sitting around and say, well, I'd like to know this and that and the other. Tell me about this. And, and if your intent is to find out and not obey it, you see you're not sincere. And God will search out sincere hearts. And He reveals things to sincere hearts. So if a man's just looking into it for the sake of just, well, I'm going to put that down in my little black book, and one of these days I'm going to tell somebody what I found out. You'll never know God if that's your attitude. You'll never know God. You cannot know God. And so it is the glory of God to conceal a thing. But on the other hand, some people can search it out. Now, you may say, Brother Grant, you're taking this a little bit out of context. But let's go one, just one step further. Proverbs 18 now. 13. <clears throat> He that answereth the matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. You know, the thing that really amazes me is that there are so many religious experts in the world today. Now, I happen to have an Oldsmobile. I recently had some problems with it. I was advised after my car was towed in to a nearby garage take this car to an authorized Oldsmobile dealer. Can't you fix it? Yes, we can. But you see, we don't specialize in Oldsmobiles. And we're not really for sure what the problem is with this. So take it to an authorized Oldsmobile dealer. And if you went and bought a new Volkswagen, the man who sold it to you would be in question immediately by you yourself if he told you it didn't make any difference who fixed your car. Because certain people specialize in certain areas. Now, the strange thing about it, you hear more preaching about Ah. Don't pay any attention to them when it comes to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that strange? You see, most of them don't even believe in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they say, He's not coming back. 
And you know, the real experts about, about this business, about speaking in tongues, happen to be the people who don't know anything about it. I'm really amazed at how much advice that, that preachers or people get from preachers who don't even believe that there ought to be that speaking in tongues is even a valid experience. They got all the answers. If you want to know anything about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to go to a preacher that believes in the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want all the answers about speaking with tongues. Go to somebody that believes that in order to, to receive the Holy Ghost, that you must speak with tongues as the Spirit of God gives the utterance. This is the evidence of it. Praise God, praise God, praise God. You walk into the average church office and say, do you speak it in tongues, the evidence of the Holy Ghost? They said, no, no, no. And then you ask him, what, need, what should I do to be saved? He said, well, I'm not really for sure, but you don't need the Holy Ghost. As far as I'm concerned, friend, if you take that kind of advice, you are a loser taking advice from a loser. This is what Jesus said when he said, you know, the blind lead the blind. It's bad enough to be blind. But one thing for sure, if you're blind, you wouldn't want to be led around by a blind man. And if you're blind, you need to put your hand in the hand of somebody that is spiritually sensitive enough to follow the leadership of the Spirit. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Jesus Christ is coming back. The Word of the Lord declares that He is coming back. The church could go up any moment. I really believe that. Now, I believe that with all my heart. Somebody came up to me, and I'm not really for sure what the, what the problem was, and they asked me, said, Brother Grant, when do you believe the Lord's coming? Well, some people said he was coming this time. Somebody said he was coming this time. Somebody recently came up with a figure said he's coming in 1989. They asked me, do you believe that? I said, I believe he could. But I don't believe he has to wait till then. You're exactly right. He could come this very hour. And let me tell you something. The reason why that I put it that way, because there never was a generation... That's recorded in the Word of God that didn't believe that Jesus was indeed coming in their, their time. You may say, oh, but we have all of this evidence. My Bible tells me even Jesus Christ Himself said in Mark the 13th chapter verse 32, No man knoweth the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man appeareth. And I know how people got 1889 or 1989, rather. I know where they got that. Because they've got it all figured out and there's seven years in tribulation. How, how do you know there's seven years in tribulation period? You see, I'm one preacher that believes there's 14 years in tribulation period. All I can say is this. If Jesus Christ, while he was walking upon the face of the earth, didn't even know when it was going to take place, it's hard for me to believe. And anybody today can tell you. That's all I can say. That's all I can say. But this I do know, friend, that Jesus is indeed coming back. And I know just enough about the Bible to know this. That there's one thing that God wants me to quest for. And that is the ultimate in truth and the giving of my heart to it. Praise God.
I, I want to I love it and, and, and hold it and embrace it and follow it. Let's stand. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Now, I don't believe that the Lord is coming as a thief in the night to save people. I don't believe that. Because I believe if I'm rapture ready today, and I'm rapture ready tonight, and I'm rapture ready tomorrow, and I'm rapture ready, I don't think, my friend, that He's going to slip in unaware to me. See, the Jehovah's Witness, they, they believed in 1905 the Lord was coming. They prophesied that. That was a major publication of their doctrine. He didn't come in 1905, so they changed it to 1909 and then 1911. They were saying that surely the First World War would be Armageddon. But it wasn't. And then they changed it to 1945. Because surely World War II was Armageddon. And then they changed it to 1980-something. Did you know that two years ago the JWs lost more people than they have ever lost before? The first time in their history they declined in membership. For their people walked away from their churches, sadly. Because so many people said he's coming at a certain time. He didn't come. He just didn't come. And so they got to saying, now look, you know, it's a strange thing, you know. Well, when I first came to the Lord, I knew it all. I'm serious with you. Well, you, you just ask me. I can tell you. I studied, I searched. I, but you see, the more that you learn, you see, when you're a young man of the Lord, you know about a thousand things about God. And then when you get to a little maturity in God, you know about a hundred things about Him. But when you become a father in the Lord, you know only one thing. That's what Paul said. And that is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. In other words, you, you, you kind of bring it all down to one thing and say that, the, the important thing about this is that Jesus Christ saved me and took my sins away. And that's what I'm going to focus my attention on. Praise God. I know that He's coming. I want to be rapture ready. I want to be involved in truth. As much of it as I can. Praise God. I want to dig in every day, every night, every hour. Hallelujah. Let God be truth. And let every man be a liar. And listen to me, friend, as I focus my attention to you. Some of you sit here as visitors and guests of ours. And you're saying, do you really believe, Pastor, that Jesus Christ is coming back? Friend, my whole experience is staked upon the hope that I have in God. Paul put it this way. If in this life only I had hope in Christ Jesus, I would be above all men most miserable. I believe that Jesus Christ indeed is coming back after His church. And I review Him. I respect Him enough to give my life and my very heart to Him. You may say, Pastor, do you really believe that Jesus Christ is coming today? You know, I'm just as much human as you are. And if I didn't think that He could come today, I'd probably be doing just like a lot of people. I'm serious. You may say, but I thought you loved the Lord. 
I thought, I thought it was your fidelity and love that held you to the Lord. Well, that helps. But I'll say this. I respect. I revere. I fear God. You know, if every day I went up to my wife and I said, Now, now, hon, I really love you. I really love you. I love you with my whole heart. However, it is not really important that you be loyal to me. I mean, if you see another guy today you want to eat lunch with, you take the liberty to do it. And if you decide you don't want to come home tonight, just, just go ahead and stay out. Because, you know, after all, we'll always love each other. Now, she might come home, but I wouldn't be surprised if she didn't stay out one night. See, that's the way a lot of people's relationship is with the Lord. But this I told my wife, Hun, if you ever lay out with somebody else, before you come home, you call me. Because you might not have a home to come home to. In other words, There is a spirit of apathy in the world. It's spreading throughout the human race. People's eyes are being blinded by satanic forces and powers. My word declares that Satan is indeed a liar. And he is the father of all lies. I simply stand before you not with any great profound word tonight. For you are well aware of this. So I only want to remind you that if Satan is a liar, why would you listen to him? Don't you believe that my word is true? And the things that I have written will come to pass. And if they will indeed come to pass, why is your heart so troubled? Why don't you give yourself to me? Why don't you lean on me? Why don't you follow me? For surely you know that my reward is great, saith the Lord. coming soon oh yes he's coming soon he's coming